Welcome to the Doc G Show, a radio show cluster. F- Without further ado, critics have said he has the face for radio and a voice for silent films. Your host, Ben Doc G Gordon. And we are on the air. Welcome to the Doc G Show. I'm your host, Doc G, with me on the Sunday Fun Day Adventure is the intrepid Word. Jake Papa J Bones Parlor. Jake. That's my bass. That's the funky mm. bass thing. I didn't have to record it last week, but there it is. No, no, no. Mouth band is even better. Yes! That's did it even, with my mouth. Yeah, it's even better. Slap at the bass, mom. <laughs> um, Jake, I don't know. I don't know if you've uh, if you found this in your life, but uh, I've noticed a lot of times in my life, whenever I start feeling down hmm. about something in my life, when I'm having maybe a little self-pity, Word. the best thing to do is do something nice for somebody else. I don't yeah, know. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. E- yep. ex- exactly. Exactly. You do something nice for somebody else, and uh, you'll feel better about yourself. You'll feel happier. And um, So true. That's uh, You're going to notice. You're going to notice. I've picked a couple stories in this show today that there's a theme that runs through it. There's there's a theme that runs through it, and the theme is Jake, don't be a dead. That's mm. that's the theme. It's pretty simple. It, it's pretty simple theoretically, you know. Yeah. It's but easier said than done. Exactly. When you have to practically apply that advice, it gets a little harder. So, Jake, I thought today I'd actually start out with something that really just rocks everybody's world. It's a real fun topic. Word. Um, it's known as the obituaries. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was flipping through the obituaries the other day because I'm a young, exciting, unpredictable dude that sometimes looks through the folks that have died. That's what I do. Um, and I came across Rudy Henson. I'm guessing you've never heard of Rudy, have you, Jake? Not, not, not ringing a bell. Okay, neither have I. Hadn't heard about him until I read this uh, obituary, and it sort of inspired me as uh, far as not being a goes. Uh, he died about a month ago. So it's not like just, just recently. It's about a month ago. Jake, can I tell you a little about Rudy? Hmm. Hit me with some Rudy Henson facts. Okay, so Rudy Henson was born in the Netherlands in 1923. From what I can tell, he had a pretty normal childhood, you know, uh, all the way growing up. Uh, then, when he was 18, World War II broke out, and uh, Rudy wanted to wanted to fight the Nazis, right? He heard, mm-hmm. hey, I hear these guys are bad news. We need to get rid of them. So, he, uh, he enlisted in the Army, 18 years old, right? And... Uh, he, when he enlisted, goes straight over to the Pacific Theater. They send him over to the Pacific side of the fight. And almost as soon as he gets over there, what happens? Gets captured by the Japanese. Jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, Rudy wasn't just captured, right? He wasn't just captured and thrown into prison and they forgot about him. No. Uh, the Japanese weren't about that life. No, they got Rudy and they forced him to do slave labor. Girl, come on! Right? As soon as, he, as soon as he got in their camps, he was doing things for the Japanese, right? So, he does slave labor for three and a half years, right? By 1945, Rudy weighed 80 pounds. A grown man weighing 80 pounds because of how much he had been beaten and malnourished by that point. Almost four years, right? Now, thinking about it, if you're Rudy at this point, you're probably like, well, um, I've been a slave now for almost a fifth of my life. I weigh less than a seventh grader. Uh, they don't feed me anything, and I've been beaten around the clock. Uh, what else could go wrong? Well, Jake, if you're asking this as well, and you're a fan of history, I'll give you a spoiler. Rudy, in 1945, was being held in Nagasaki, Japan. Uh, apparently, Rudy didn't have any friends in the Manhattan Project that gave him a heads up. Because on August 9th, 1945, that was not a good day for Rudy. Nope. So, uh, Rudy recalled recently, right before he died, actually, he heard planes overhead, right? And then a blinding flash that immediately burned his legs. Buildings were in, uh, flattened and engulfed in flames, the noise, he said, was overwhelming. The heat was overwhelming. The smoke was overwhelming, right? What happened, Rudy had a nuclear bomb literally dropped on his head. Literally, the bomb that dropped in Nagasaki was right beside him. He was in the impact zone of a nuclear bomb, Right? That's a fact. And he was part of the Allied forces. He was the good guys. And a nuclear bomb dropped on his head. Right? Girl, come on! Literally, hours after the bomb, Japanese soldiers came back in and they resecured their prisoners like Rudy. And they already had him doing slave labor just hours after the bomb. Like, they didn't even stop. They just rolled back in and they're like, hey, you still alive? All right, start doing stuff again. Right? He was literally picking up corpses from the nuclear bomb right after it happened. Not easy. Not easy. Now, while this was going on, and later in the weeks, uh, because of the radiation, right? It's not a good thing. It's a real bad thing. Uh, his urine turned to a dark brown sludge. Ew. Because oh of the radiation. Yeah. And, of course, all of his hair fell out, you know. And he could barely walk. And on top of that, he was already 80 pounds from the slave labor. So, you know, not that good. But eventually, the Allied forces came in, took him back to the Netherlands. Japan surrendered a couple days afterwards. They got him back to the ne Netherlands, and there you go. Now, he stayed several years in the Netherlands. He, he was ill the whole time. For years, he was still trying to recuperate from this bomb dropped on his head. Which, I mean, like, you know, can you just imagine that? Just take That's a step terrible. back. Just take a step back. Like, can you imagine? Because this was the second bomb, too. 
So, yeah. like, I wonder if anybody, like, in the prison was like, hey, did you hear about what happened? They said they dropped a bomb on a whole city. Jeez. You don't think they'd do that here, would you? And he's like, no, no, no of course not. They wouldn't do that here. And, like, two days later, he's like, those sons of <laughs> They totally did just drop a bomb on my head. That is uncalled for. Wham. Right? So, anyways going bad but he's getting things back at, uh, on the up and up you know and eventually he decided to go to Canada he's like I'm gonna go to Canada start a new life for myself in Canada he went to Canada with $50 in his pocket Jake that's all I had $50 and he went to Canada and he got a job as a geological draftsman Secured a job as a geological draftsman and married a lady named Sylvia. Sweet. And uh, over about the next 25 years, Rudy was extremely good at saving money and making good financial decisions and investing his money. And eventually, Rudy had acquired millions of dollars from those financial investments. He had millions of dollars. Yes. Now, if you think about a person that could be a cranky old man that could really hate everybody and not do anything with his money and spend it all on himself and be a mean head, Rudy would be a good candidate. Yes! He has a reason yeah. to do that, right? I mean, you'd think, well, I can't really get mad at the dude. He had a nuclear bomb dropped on his head and he was in slave labor for four years. It's not really not really ideal. So I guess, I guess he deserves having all that, right? But by 1979... Rudy and his wife, Sylvia, they just started giving all their money away. Say what? They just, they gave it to the Children's Hospital. They gave it to the Victoria Hospital Foundation. They gave it to the homeless. They gave it away all over the place. Yes! Right? And the entire time that Rudy is in Canada, he didn't talk anything about the war. Right? People would ask him, like, what was it like, man? What was... What was that what was that experience like? And he's like, he, he like, you know what? No point to dwell on those bad things. Life's good. Got to come to Canada, meet my wife. What else could you want? Word. That was literally his saying. Got to come to Canada, meet my wife. What else could you want? And if I was talking to Rudy, I'd be like, eh, not having a nuclear bomb dropped on your head? That'd be <laughs> something I'd want. So true. You know, just saying. Especially since you were on the side that did the dropping, Rudy. Right? Well, that wasn't Rudy. <laughs> he was nice. No. No, people would ask him what it was like in the slave labor. And he'd be like, ah, I don't need to talk about it. I don't want to make it seem like I'm showing off. Showing off? What? What? Right? Never left him, though. It was always up there. It's always up in his mind. He said he had he had nightmares about it. Got even worse when he was older. His nightmares would come back. But it never brought him down. Rudy was a happy dude. Anything that was good or beautiful that could make others happy brought him happiness. Yes! That's what Rudy loved, right? And uh, in moments before he passed away this uh, this last month, he was he was age ninety six, right? Full life for Rudy. Yeah. 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 He told a hospital staffer, literally moments before he passed away, he looked out the window, and he was like, oh, man, can you look at that? Just look at how beautiful that view is, right? A couple minutes later, Rudy was no longer with us. That's how he left, being happy. Take-home message there, Jake. Rudy had a lot of reasons to be a dead, but yeah. he wasn't. He wasn't. 
I think we could all be a little more Rudy-like. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, man, I just want to say that sounds like a, like his wife named Sylvia. Mm-hmm. I bet she was I bet she was really hot. Wait, what? <laughs> so she you, had you to think, be. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, maybe maybe hot in personality, hot some way. She had to be to make him that happy. I mean, Bro. he had millions of dollars and and uh, this great situation and that's all he brought up when people said life's good. He's like, "Yeah, I got to meet my wife. What else could you want?" Come on. Sylvia yeah. had to be good in some way. She had to be awesome in some way if he's saying that. Anyways, Jake, with that in mind, are you ready to fire the show up? Let's fire the show up. Five. All three engines up and burning. Two, one, zero, and liftoff. Woo! Jake, wowzers. Word. Wowzers do we have a show. Man, Mr. Pete Bernard, or Bernhard, what Bernard, what, come on, <laughs> Pete Bernhard of the terrific band Devil Makes Three, They're com- he's coming on the show, I can't wait man, uh, the- these guys, these guys Devil Makes Three, they- they've been playing like 20 years man, in this, you've heard the genre Americana thrown around mm-hmm. right, would you consider oh, yeah. Bella Vita Americana, what would you consider Bella Vita? Hmm. Uh, you know, we're kind of all over the place. I'd say we're like, man, you know, like some indie rock kind of thing. Yeah. But the other band that I play in The Tourist, we're definitely Americana. I okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's what happens with a lot of Americana. Like, I think Americana started out as like any sort of like folk uh, music. Like, so like bluegrass country uh, folk, blues, all of that, anything in that fell into Americana. But, I mean, eventually I think they just started throwing anything in there that just didn't fit, like, one of your normal yeah. genres. They were just like, like yeah, it's Americana. It's like yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, these guys, they're like, the, they're like the old heads of Americana. They've been in Americana for literally 20 years. Jeez. Like, they've been, they've been doing it, man. Pete lives up in Vermont, we're going to talk to him up in Vermont. Never been to Vermont. You haven't either because you've only been to four states. So That is know. true. That's a fact. Uh, Jake, and I don't want you to get too excited, but this show is going to involve some singing from me. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Yes! Yeah? Yes! Anyways, we need to hit up our, our first birthday suit. Start where we start. Are you ready? Let, let me, give me some. Give me, give me a birthday suit. I'm ready to... Up my percentage. Happy birthday, Mr. Okay, so the first birthday suit, Jake. I, it's it's a sport. It's an athlete, but uh, it's not your sport. Mm. So I'm giving it a 65 percenter. 65. But I got faith. She's 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 been very famous over the last two or three years. Um, okay. Born on July 5th, 1985 in Redding, California. Her birthday suit wearer has five siblings, including her fraternal twin, Rachel. Hmm. At a very young age, our birthday suit wearer watched her older brother, Brian, play soccer. That's what inspired her to start playing soccer. She started playing at the age of three, trying to be him. Until high school, she was coached on various youth leagues by her father, She was good enough to get a scholarship to the University of Portland. Her freshman year, she helped 
uh, lead the team to an undefeated season and an NCAA championship. Hmm. In 2009, she was elected second over, or she was selected, not elected, selected overall, a second overall in the women's professional soccer draft by the Chicago Red Stars. She has made 168 appearances for the U.S. national team Jeez. and has scored 52 goals in her career. She won a gold medal with the U.S. team in 2012, and she was the leading player on the 2019 FIFA World Cup team. She was named... Megan Rapino. Yes, Megan Rapino. Yes, oh. there it is. Okay. Rapino, Rapino. I think it's Rapino. I think that's what she goes by, but it's fine. You got it. There it is. Yes, yes, Megan is correct. Totally correct. I was going to say also uh, she was player of the game for the final match in the FIFA World Cup. She won the Golden Boot. She's also in the National Gay and Lesbian Sports Hall of Fame. Yeah. And congratulations. Currently in a relationship with Sue Bird, who's in the uh, WNBA. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, they were on the they were on the Bodies issue together. ESPN Bodies. Oh, they appeared that, together. Mm-hmm. Okay. Did they meet there? Or no, they no, no. Were together. No, they they did the they did the the magazine because of their relationship. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she's turning big three five, man. Getting pretty old. Jeez. Getting pretty yeah. old. But you know, the she's thing st- about her that she would have been like way more celebrated, she kept on getting ACL injuries. She's had a yeah. ton of ACL injuries. Crazy, man. Crazy. But she dominated that last World Cup for sure. Oh, for sure. Dominate. The confidence, the swag she had. I was like, man, I could use a little bit of that swag. Yes. She got buttloads of swag, you know? crazy mm. happy birthday megan enjoy it live it up big trente y cinco trente y cinco all right jake are you ready we're gonna rip some headlines all right man let's rip them it's now time for rip from the headlines okay okay jake uh our first uh story is uh is from CBS Channel 21 in Pennsylvania. And I, I think the folks at CBS Ch- uh, Channel 21 uh, were thinking a little bit along the same lines as me in the uh, monologue to this show, Jake. Word. Uh, because they compiled a list of different studies from different researchers at multiple institutions that show and, and promote information on reasons why it's good to be kind. Say what? Why it's important as humans to be a kind person. That's right. That's right. One of the researchers said, kindness is much older than religion. It does seem to be universal, and the basic reason why people are kind is that we are social animals. Get this, Jake. A psychologist that did a study listed 10 traits of humans and let people rate them uh, in importance as what they saw was most important in that other human, right? So they had a bunch of things on there. They had excitingness of the person's life. That was one of the factors. Creativity, ambition, uh, practice of traditions or conservativeness of traditions, security, obedience, obedience, Socially just, powerful, hedonistic, and kindness. Kindness 
was valued by everyone that completed the survey as the most important factor. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. one researcher said kindness and cooperation work for many species, whether it's bacteria, flowers, or our fellow primates, right? The more friends you have, the more individuals you help, the more successful you are. In one experiment, uh-huh. uh, a researcher asked subjects to do three extra or three acts of kindness, either for other people. That was one group, right? And then in the other group, she asked them to do three acts of self-kindness. And then she compared a bunch of different uh, factors between these two groups. And these could be any types of acts of kindness. Small things, you know, opening a door for someone. Big things, buying a big gift for somebody, spending a lot of time with somebody. Whatever they want. But overall, she found that people who were kind to others were much happier Physically and emotionally. So yeah. true. Yeah. So obvious, like obviously, Jake, what this means is stop being dickheads. There you go. There you go. Now, Jake, moving on to an equally important news story with just as much weight. Word. Okay. Man suffers four-hour erection from blood clots due to the coronavirus. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Dude, no. That is horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about weird side effects of the disease, am I right? They have to add that to the list of side effects and symptoms. Yeah, like, listen, you're going to have a dry cough. Probably going to be some fever, respiratory issues. Oh, and you're going to have a four-hour Wait, wait, wait. Was the last one? What was that? Oh, yeah, that's right. Regardless of what you think of, you're going to have a four-hour You can think of baseball statistics, your grandfather's rash. It doesn't matter. You're not getting rid of this one. Bad news. You've got coronavirus. Like, that's that's just bad. It's just So his erection was due to the coronavirus? Yeah, well, blood clots. Blood ah, clots okay. that formed, and then the blood couldn't be released, so it stayed for four hours. Oh, oof. Yeah. Not good. Nope. Not good, Jake. So, again, just more evidence. Stay away from that disease, man. Stay away. Yes! Okay, so uh, this next story is from ProPublica. Um, so, before the whole coronavirus thing and George Floyd's killing and these other uh, world-shaping events we've had, uh, a lot of people sort of forgot, but uh, Trump uh, was trying to convince everybody that we needed a big old wall between uh, the U.S. and Mexico. So true. Right? I remember that. Yeah, and Trump supporters wanted the wall so bad that a group of them actually started raising money privately to build the wall, right? Uh, And Tommy Fisher was the guy that was actually put in uh, in charge of this privately funded border wall. And he's actually done some of it. He started off with a three-mile section of the busiest area of the border uh, for Border Patrol. This past week, hydrologists and uh, hydrologists and engineers determined that the wall was built too close to the river, and it's already showing signs of erosion. And if nothing is done, it's going to fall into the river very soon. Uh, A former sector chief of Border Patrol said, quote, you're going to get all the hydrology problems and not even from a flood, just normal ebb and flow. 
If I was the sector chief and built something like that, I'd be in so much trouble. End quote. Hmm. Yeah. But don't worry. Tommy Fisher wasn't concerned. He responded saying, erosion? Oh, come on. It's a normal part of new construction projects like this. It's normal. No, it's not. So, just to recap, Jake, this dude wasted $1.3 billion on a wall that doesn't work. And interestingly, when Tommy Fisher started this project, he said, quote, the new wall would be the Lamborghini of walls. Word. How? Yeah. It's... (laughs) But, But two things, Jake. First of all, like, you know... Don't you think when you're xenophobic and promoting a project that is trying to keep immigrants out of your country, you'd use an American car to describe your wall? Hmm. Okay, good point. Should, yeah. Shouldn't you be like, this is the Osmobile of walls? Yeah. Like, I mean, secondly, it's like you said, like, how many options are there to make a, a wall fancy? Like, what do you have to be like, oh my God, you don't even know. All the extras that we put on this wall. We've got extra horsepower in this wall. You don't even know. Mm. Like, come on. Just come on. Use the 1.3 for something else, folks. Jake, our next story is from Fox Channel 2 in Missouri. Okay. Um, There's a lady in Missouri named uh, Stefina Rugel. (laughs) Stefina is 103 years old. Jeez. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And she was interviewed by News Channel 2 this past week, Jake. And she said, quote, 2020 is the craziest year she has ever seen since she's been alive. Jeez. Now, despite these difficult times, though, Jake, she has found many ways to stay in good spirits, you know? And she said, quote, I just think of good things, not bad things. I like my friends. I like my boyfriends. Wait, what? I don't know. I just like everybody. I'm not hateful. And I mean, let's be honest, Jake. I'm glad Stefina is doing well, but boyfriends? Hmm, plural. Plural? Yeah. Like, how <laughs> many boyfriends is Stefina rocking over there? Like, Dude, she's She's killing it. Yes! Stefina. Yeah. Like, I mean, like, why do you, like, why do you think she lived to 103? I mean, well, I think one reason is apparently she goes out on more dates than any ever person aged 103 combined. So true. Like, she's active. Yeah. And two, because she's not a head. That's the other reason. Right. Yeah. That's the other reason. Now, as far as her claim, though, uh, as 2020 being the craziest year she's ever seen, to be fair, I got a feeling she probably doesn't remember about like 96% of those years anymore. Like, so true. And before anybody's out there, like, hey, Ben, stop being asshole. That's not an insult. I'm one third of her age, and I can't remember like 93% of the years that I've been alive. So I'm just saying, like, you tend to forget some of those older years. I'm guessing. Like, yeah, man. come on. She was around in 1945 when Rudy got a bomb dropped on his head. That's pretty insane. Like, yeah. I feel I like they... that's got to rank up there as a pretty weird year. That's a fact. Yeah. I wish that, you know, like, we would have found these stories 
to at you know bef- at sooner, and then Rudy and Stefina could have met up. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she could have added another boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> I was about to say she wouldn't be opposed, Jake. Nope, she'd be in for the deal. She'd be like, "What? You got it? Yeah." Oh, and Rudy then, seems like a and baller. Then Sylvia could come onto the podcast. Wait, well, what? Sylvia. Yeah. Then we Sadly, Sylvia. Sylvia hasn't. She didn't make it. You know, she she wasn't still alive when Rudy was alive. So I mean, it would be a good situation, like you were saying, because because Stefina she lost her husband several years ago. They they're just looking for some companionship. And apparently, Stefina doesn't want anything serious. She's she's passing around dudes like hotcakes. Yeah. So you know, get get those two guys. They get those two guys together. They're just a good time. Stefina and Rudy would have been a good time. Now yeah. it's just Stefina, but it's okay. It's all right, Jake. Um, this next story uh, is uh, quite disturbing in multiple ways. Um, so uh, this is from WHIO Channel 7 in Ohio. Uh, cops in Ohio responded to an unusual complaint last week. Someone called in and reported... <laughs> That there was a female in a barrel in the backyard of a residence on Yankee Road. Word. So, like, yeah, alive? Uh, they didn't think so, no. Oh, okay. And so the cops went over to Yankee Road, knocked on the residence that was suspected there, and a 35-year-old man uh, answered the door, and they were like, hey, we received a tip that there was a body of a woman in a barrel in your backyard, right? Hmm. And as they told him this, he literally was like, oh, really? Walk to the backyard as the police are standing there, picked up the barrel, and threw it over the fence. And they, like, <laughs> and they the were... Cu- they were just like, uh, was that was that the body with the with the, yeah it was okay, and then they went and arrested him. Man, they arrested him without incident. Um, what a bold strategy. Yeah, well, like I mean, yeah. did this dude think he was invisible? Like yeah. they're literally just standing there, like he's he's walking to the back right now. Okay, he just picked up a barrel. Okay, he threw it over the fence. Okay, yeah, that's him. All right, go ahead and rest him. Like, <laughs> second, I mean, obviously I know this isn't the point of the story, but I'm already frightened of a dude that's got bodies and barrels in his backyard. That's a fact. But a dude that can pick up a barrel with a body in it and hurl it over a fence, no problem. I'm even more frightened of. That's so true. That's a dude I don't want to be associated with right there. That is Hard no thank pass. you. No thank you. Uh, okay. Jake, uh, you ready for another real headline? All right, let's go. I'm ready. This one is from CNN. It says, quote, North Korea's COVID-19 response, a a shining success, Hmm. claims Kim Jong-un. No way. I'm just going to say, does that sound like anyone we know, Jake? Kim Jong Un? Any, 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 well, that does that response that he said North Korea's COVID nineteen response a shining success, even though it's not sound like anybody we know. Hmm. Just saying, Americans, can you think of anyone that leads a country that that sounds like? Anybody a pres- know a president? 
No, I'm just saying. I'm just asking. Association, Jake. I'm just. I'm not. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying. Does it remind okay. you of anybody? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. It could. It could not. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, Jake, we are going to take a break, but don't worry. We've got two more stories on the other side. Okay. Oh, no, right. I lied. I lied. We've got one more story before the break. Sorry. Okay. One more Let's story. All right. Uh, Jake, now you missed the first three stories that are very similar to this one. Uh, but since the pandemic has started, there's been a wave of public officials that make really bad decisions on what they do during Zoom meetings. Yes. Uh, so we had one that uh, had their mistress walk by in the background naked while they were on a call. Yes. Uh, we had another, a Mexican senator, who showed up with no bra or shirt on in the Zoom meeting. Mm. Didn't think the video camera was on. Uh, and we had, most recently, a school board member in Oklahoma drinking beers during their meeting open to the public, which she then claimed was because she had uh, kidney failure or a kidney infection. That's a fact. So she just drank more beer? Well, yeah, to, to solve the kidney infection, of course, because that's what all nephrologists recommend is that you drink beer, obviously, right? Nope. Come on. I didn't I didn't know that. No, you don't. She made <laughs> okay. it up. Um, right. Well, so anyways, this newest <laughs> occurrence happened in Spain uh, with a city councilman, uh, and he took a shower while on a council meeting with his camera pointed at the shower. <laughs> so, so Bernardo Bustillo uh, in a, is a town counselor and a swim instructor in Torre La Vega, Spain. Um, he had a meeting at 8 a.m. last week that lasted about four hours. Long meeting, right? Oh, yeah, dude. That's insane. As he was in the meeting, he started to worry that he wouldn't have time to shower before he had to give his daughter a ride to her practice and making it to his job as a swim instructor. Hmm. So he thought he would just take the video portion of the meeting off and bring the computer into the bathroom, turn the volume up while he showered. Of course, he didn't actually turn the video off. Nope. And he just showered in front of the rest of the counselors. That's a fact. And uh, eventually, he hopped out of the shower naked on camera, right? And uh, all, all of the other counselors were trying to call him, but he didn't hear it because of the running water of the shower, and his phone was in the other room. So he just showered on the camera. And uh, after, after doing this, Bernardo sent out a response the public that said, I've spent half my life half naked Word. and have never been ashamed of nudity, whether mine or that of others. Hmm. I can't help but regret that the end of my political life has to do with nakedness, which isn't a big deal. This is his response. Yeah, which, I hate that response. <laughs> That's an awful thing to respond to. Well, I I you know I agree with Bernie. It's not a huge deal. Like I mean, it's totally unnecessary. It's not yeah, like horrifying. Like I'm not like you know grossed out. But he should be like, hey, sorry, I should have yeah. known my video camera was on. My bad. Like, um, but first, can I can I can I, can I ask this, Jake? Why did he need to take a shower in the first place? He's a I was, he, he's a swim instructor, bro. Come I was on. Gonna say 
And you're taking your daughter, you're dropping your daughter off to soccer practice. Yeah. Like, yeah, stink a little bit. Who cares? Then yeah. when you get to practice, jump in the pool. Come on. Yeah. Nobody's going to care. Nope. Yeah. Second, is it that hard to find the video off button? Like, uh, they, sh they showed a screenshot of everybody on the Zoom call. There were at least four others that had their video off. Like, come on, Bernie. Come on, yeah. man. Yeah, I'd also like to see the screenshot of, like, the other people's Disgusted. faces yeah. the whole time. Like, yeah. Okay. No, we, we talked about it in the last one with the, the, the lady from Mexico. And that one was hilarious because she's just sitting there completely naked from the waist up. And you can see all the senators in the Zoom call are just trying to look away from their cameras like... Totally not looking at you. Why are you doing this? Can somebody tell her to put a shirt back on? Like, they just all... And then finally, one of the other senators called her and was like, Hey, so you're naked? Did you know that? We can all see you. And she's like, Oh, Jesus, my bad. Whoops. Sorry, gang. Let me yeah. put on a shirt. Which, I mean, that one, we were just like, Man, talk about relaxing during the pandemic. You're like, you know what? Pandemic. No shirts. Giving those things up. We don't wear those anymore. Yeah. I'm not leaving my house. Oh, oh bro. And my whole thing with this situation is I'm so scared of something that like that happening to me that I like double and triple check that I oh, don't yeah. have. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, you got to do it. They just were like, screw it. I'm, I'm good. And like, even if you're not sure, even if you're not sure, why, about, why, why not just point the, the computer the other direction? Oh, I'd do that too, you know? Like, why not just point it towards the the toothpaste? Instead, he's like, I better, just in case this camera's on, better get a good shot of me showering. There we point go. It, point, it right, nice. point it right at me. Yeah, there we go. That looks good. Anyways, guys, we are going to take a break. We are going to hear from The Devil Makes Three, their newest album. This is Chains Are Broken with the song Bad Idea. Right here on the Doc G Show.
And we are back here on the Doc G Show. Spinnaker Radio, WSKRLP 95.5 FM in Jacksonville, <gasps> Florida. Jake, the yeah. listeners right now, they need to go check out both the website and they need to subscribe to our podcast in any app that will download podcasts. We're talking Spreaker. We're talking Stitcher. We're talking uh, Apple Podcasts. We're talking SoundCloud. Just put in the Doc G Show, and our show will come up. You will subscribe, and then you will write a comment like, those guys are dope. I can't believe they got Papa J Bones. That dude is the best, right? And then we'll look at that review, and it will make our day. You will do an act of kindness, and you won't be dead. There you go. Right. It's the theme of the show. There it is. There it is. There it is. Now, to celebrate our regular listeners, it is time to do some shout-outs. Shout-outs. Jake, let's start with regulars. Here we go. Jacksonville. All the areas of Jacksonville. We're talking Southside. We're talking Ponte Vedra. We're talking Avondale. We're talking Riverside. We're talking Neptune Beach. We're talking Atlantic Beach. We're talking Jacksonville Beach. We're talking Ponte Vedra. I'm saying everywhere in the 904. Thank you. Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. All the 803. Thank you to the 803 for listening. Gainesville, Florida, the 352. Shout out to the 352. Radford, Virginia, shout out to the 540. Oh, man, the next one's Dublin. And I I was supposed to look up their area code, and I didn't because they have a a crazy European area code. Oh, man, I'm sorry, Dublin. Shout out to you, though. Jake's on it. He's doing research. Dublin, Ireland, shout out. You've given us a lot of listens. We appreciate it. Keep on spreading the good word. Boardman, Oregon, shout out to Boardman. Charlotte, North Carolina, Queen City, shout out to you guys. Charleston, South Carolina, shout out to you. Another international, Barcelona, Spain, shout out to Barcelona for being regulars. Ashburn, Virginia, shout out to Ashburn. Also in the Commonwealth, Roanoke, Virginia, shout out to them. Kenner, Louisiana, shout out to New Orleans and the rest of them. Madison, Tennessee, shout out to them. Across the country in Mountain View, California, shout out to you guys. London, United Kingdom, shout out to you guys. Orlando, Florida, shout out. Peoria, Illinois, shout out. Genoa, Italy, across the Atlantic, thank you for listening. And lastly, our new regular Brighton United Kingdom shout out. shout out all right okay so I got Dublin's area code if you want it what is it zero one zero one man that's that's fairly easy yeah all right shout out to the zero one zero one Dublin Ireland there it is you heard it thank you Jake good research yeah man Okay, semi-regulars. We're going to first start down at the, at the south side of Florida. Fort Lauderdale. Shout out to Fort Lauderdale. Shout Windsor, out. California. Shout out to Windsor again. Shout Los out. Angeles. Shout out to Los Angeles. Columbus, Georgia. Shout out to Columbus. Atlanta, shout Georgia. Out. Shout out to Atlanta. Moscow, Russia, keeping it regular. Hastings, New Zealand, shout out to Hastings. And lastly, Houston, Texas, shout out to those guys. All right, Jake, it is time. Newcomers, are you ready? All right, let's do it. I can't wait. First one, 
Meridian Hills, Indiana. Shout out. Yeah. Meridian Hills. North side of Indianapolis. North side of you have you've never been to Indianapolis. Of uh, course not. Fun fact about Indianapolis, uh, Jake. Me and my brother, we were both in Indianapolis for business. I think it was uh, 2014. Separate business, but we were both there for business. Uh, I was with my longtime friend Brandon. You know Brandon. Um, I know Brandon. Yeah, we went to my bro's hotel. Right, we're gonna uh, meet up, have some dinner. We went to my bro's hotel, and uh, Brandon was sitting. Uh, this is a nice hotel, by the way. Real nice hotel. I won't mention the name for the uh, the bad press that they would get from this next comment, but it's a really nice hotel. And Brandon's sitting on the couch in said hotel room, and Brandon got up to readjust the cushion, and he noticed there was a rag stuffed in the corner of the couch. Hmm. And he pulled out the rag, and it was covered in all sorts of disgusting bodily fluids oh yeah Ew. we didn't try to determine all the contents but there was definitely blood and some oh. type of fecal matter on it yeah okay yeah did you ask your brother no it wasn't his he was okay. more disgusted than both of us he was like he ran out of the room he was so disgusted That's a fact. he was and if if he was acting and it was his he did a very good acting job if that okay. was his um regardless uh, it made the trip pretty exciting. It's pretty gross, but it was a pretty exciting interaction. So true. To my knowledge, Jake, there, there's nothing like that going on in Meridian Hills. None of, none of those rags are, are going on in Meridian Hills. Uh, I, I'm not going to lie. I took a look at the demographic um, information of Meridian Hills, Jake. Hmm. They need to diversify a little bit. Okay. Hey. They're 95.9% white. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a higher percentage of white people than the viewership of HGTV. That's a fact. Like, good wow. Lord. Come on. Get some other folks in your town, guys. But nonetheless, thanks for listening. Wait, Thanks what? for listening. Uh, okay. Next one, Jake. Are you ready? Let's do it. This is uh, Manuel Emilio Brazil. Shout out. Yeah. I, I love I love Brazil. I mean, I've never been there, but yeah. they do have some fine ladies. Wait, what? There you go. There you go. Well, uh, I'm going to be honest. There wasn't too much information on Manuel Emilio, Jake. Nope. Uh, I took a I took a look on TripAdvisor. There was literally there was one restaurant in Manuel Emilio. Uh, Restaurante e Lochonete uh, Primero de Mayo. Let's wow, be honest. Man. Uh, no, I just butchered that Portuguese. Don't don't wow me. That was bad. It was bad. The was the, pe the people that speak Portuguese, uh, Dave Dave Santos, I'm looking at you. Uh, they weren't impressed. Um, <laughs> Santos. Yeah, you know it. You know it. <laughs> Re regardless, folks in Manuel Emilio, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Okay, Jake, we got two more stories. Got 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 a couple leftover stories. Are you ready? All right, man. Okay, so this one, uh, <laughs> Jake, uh, we've uh, we've had a long-running history on uh, this show of uh, giving people reasons not to shoot other people. That's a fact. It's just um, a, don't be a Well, yes. Yes, exactly. Um, but it seems like we kept coming across these stories where people 
would shoot or attempt to shoot other people for for very meaningless reasons. Um, for instance, uh, you shouldn't shoot somebody uh, because your hair appointment was late. So true. That's not a reason to shoot somebody. Uh, yeah. Or this one. You uh, shouldn't shoot somebody because they ordered a wrap instead of a sandwich and didn't pay the difference. It's, so true. It's not, the, not a reason. Or yeah. this one. Because your cousin eats some of your chips. Not a reason to shoot so him. So true. Um, um, yeah. Um, I mean, I've been, it's happened to me. My cousin's stolen some. Of my, my favorite is my cousin's when we were little used to be, always be like, can I borrow a chip? And I'm like, I don't want it back. But uh, you're, you're going to have to eat it. Yeah. But, yeah. dude, it, would, I, it always infuriated me when people steal my food. I'm, I'm not going to lie. So, I mean, I can kind of understand what? it. What? <laughs> you can understand being angry, yeah. not shooting someone. Yeah. That's okay. Let's let's make sure we draw the line there. We draw the line. It's a reason to be upset, not to shoot somebody. That's a fact. Um, Jake, sadly, we've got another thing to add to the list. Oh. A reason not to shoot somebody. Uh, introducing reason 4,684 of why you shouldn't shoot at somebody. Uh, that would be not enough toppings on your pizza. That's a fact. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not a reason. You, you, yeah, you can add more toppings if you're upset. Like, yeah, j just yeah. add your own on there. Or get another pizza. Just get a whole another pizza in general. Just like yeah. you know, buy another one. Uh, so Michael Brown in Arkansas, he went to Pie Five Restaurant in Little Rock, Arkansas, for a pizza. Uh, Ebony Smith was working at the restaurant. Uh, she was making the pizza. Michael Brown was uh, watching her from the counter making the pizza. And he started complaining she wasn't putting enough toppings on the pizza. Nope. Ebony wasn't really having this, so she called her manager on the phone. And she was like, hey, listen, I'm doing it by the book. I'm doing it by what the pie five standards are. If you want to talk to my manager about it, you can. She handed the phone to Mr. Brown, at which time Mr. Brown threw the phone at Ebony. Wait, what? Then another employee was like, hey, buddy, it's time to leave the restaurant, which Mr. Brown left the restaurant. They were a little worried that Mr. Brown was going to come back and be more violent than he was before, so they locked the restaurant, right, after he left. So true. Mr. Brown did come back, and he realized they'd locked the door. That's when he pulled his gun out and shot the glass out from the door and then left the scene. A few hours later, he turned himself in to the cops and admitted he shot into the pizza place because he was angry regarding the amount of toppings he had received. Mm -hmm. So, Jake, two things. One, can you imagine being the customer that walks up right after all of this goes down? Hmm. Like, uh, what, what happened to your door? Uh, are, are you, don't worry. I don't want any more toppings. Nope. I'm good. Whatever you want to put on the pizza, I'm cool with it. I just, are you guys still open? Or is this like a crime scene? Should I? I don't know. Like, how weird. I would probably just go to the next restaurant, honestly. Unless I was a really dedicated Pie 5 restaurant goer. I don't know how good the pizza is there. Never had it. Mm. Um, two, just imagine being Mr. Brown when you have to go to the interrogation room at 
the police station and they're like, so, so what did it? What set you off at the pizza shop? And he's like, well, I just really like onions on my pizza, right? And she was putting a minimal amount of onions on my pizza. So I threw a phone at her face and then I tried to murder her with a deadly weapon. <laughs> you guys see where I'm going with that, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Am I, is that, you're, you're saying that was overkill. I shouldn't have done that. That was too much. Okay. All right. Weird. I'm sorry. I feel like he could have just been like, hey, um, I really like onions. Could you hook me up? Yeah. Please. Yeah. yeah sort of a technique, if you will. You get you catch more flies with honey than you do vinegar. That's yeah. uh, Or you catch more flies uh, with honey instead of a, a gun. You know. True. Um, that's a fact. I, I, that's a fact, too, Jake. You're not going to kill a lot of flies with a gun. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. You're going to miss them most of the time. They're, they're crafty guys. And I'm just saying. Anyways, uh, Jake, the second story that we have left over. This one's, this one's pretty odd. So this story comes from the Detroit Press. Jake, I think we can all admit there are some pretty weird museums out there. Am I right? Oh, uh, yeah. Too many. <laughs> yeah. I think listeners of this great show remember when we talked about the Icelandic Penis Museum. That's a real thing, Jake. There's one of those out there. Um, mm-hmm. Well, this this museum in Michigan, pretty sure that actually, interestingly enough, rivals the Icelandic Museum. Word. Um, this museum is called the Museum of Moses, and it's uh, 20 miles south of Cadillac, Michigan. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking like, okay, Moses, the Moses the biblical character, hmm, right? That's what I sort of thought of, but it's yeah. not. It's a museum dedicated to Kevin Moses. Word. Let me let me use the Detroit Free Press's uh, description of Kevin Moses. Quote, Kevin Moses was a nobody. He wasn't famous or popular or talented. Jeez. He had a few interests or hobbies, just a regular dude, end quote. Man, Detroit Free Press, don't sugarcoat it. Tell us how you really feel about Kevin. Man, Girl, come on. they really started off harsh. He was a yeah. nobody. Nobody, Kevin Moses. But really, Kevin wasn't. He wasn't known for anything, right? So apparently, uh, Kevin Moses died of cancer uh, about a decade ago, and his sister... Because one of the main things that his brother did was uh, collect Harley Davidsons. So uh, his sister just made a museum of all of his random belongings. Like, it included the the Harleys, but they just threw everything else in there that was his. And they're like, this is a museum. Moses' museum. Here you go. Right? Word. Like there there's 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 Harley Davidsons, there's Harley signs, there's just some eight track tapes. There's an eight track Nazareth tape that was his. They're like, there you go. What do you think about Sweet. that? Right? Uh there's pictures of Kevin. Kevin drinking a beer in the woods. Kevin sitting shirtless on a Harley. Kevin with a toothpick. In the center, there's a big cardboard cutout of Kevin Moses. Uh, smoking a large joint. And Carla said, uh, we call it the internal flame. Uh, To her, it perfectly summed up Kevin. She said, my dad was mad when he saw it. He said, Jesus Christ, 
couldn't find a picture with something else. But Kevin, he's been smoking since high school. His marijuana card's lying around here somewhere. Uh, it expired a week before he did. Wait, what? <laughs> Literally, what his sis, that's what his sister said. Anyways. <laughs> so... So, uh, this, this museum actually literally draws thousands of visitors a year. Um, now sadly, Jake, the Moses Museum is closing because his sister is moving. She decided she's gonna, she's gonna close down the shop. She's gonna move out of all places. I don't know how she chose this, but she's moving to New Mexico. I don't really, Hmm. I, I guess if you don't want to be bothered, that's a good place to go. But uh, she's going to New Mexico, and she's shutting down the shop. Uh, at the end of the article, she said this, Jake. She said, he wasn't, he wasn't nothing special. Wasn't better than anybody's brother or son. Didn't save any children from burning a house. And he never burned anyone's house down either. He came in somewhere in the middle. He was just a guy who worked for his dad. End quote. Hmm. They're doing a really good job of selling this museum. Well, you know, you know what I would say the draw is of Kevin. He wasn't a kid. Yeah, okay. that's what I would say. Fair. That's yeah. what I would say. You did a better job of selling that museum than any of his family. <laughs> there, I mean, honestly, like if I was working as uh, what's her name, Carla? If I was working as Carla, and like you know, they sent me the first proof of the article, I'd be like. Dude, you could just say he's an average guy. You don't have to say he's a nobody. Like, yeah. and he's nothing special. He's nothing special. He's a nobody. Like, come on, there's something special about Kevin. So true. Or you wouldn't have made the museum to him. Come on, jeez. I, I, I mean, I also feel like, like, just do you have to have a museum for him? I mean, why not just it? Why well, not just like so open they, his house up? They tied it in just a little bit, right? The whole reason was is that he basically wanted, quote unquote, a museum. Really, what he wanted was a showroom for all of his show quality Harleys. That's a fact. But he okay. would call it a museum. So they just decided, let's throw everything about Kevin into a museum. That was it, you know. But I mean, it's weird. But Carla, yeah, she's she's closing it down. So any fans of the Moses Museum, I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay, uh, Jake, last birthday soup before we go to a, uh, a break. And then we hear from our guest of honor, Mr. Pete Bernhardt. That's right. Uh, okay. Born on July 5th, 1980 in Providence, Rhode Island. His, oh, sorry, I didn't give you. I'm giving you a, a 90 percenter on this one. Pretty confident. Okay. Pretty confident. Uh, he's in the realm of reality TV show stars. Uh, born on July 5th, 1980 in Providence, Rhode Island, his life aspiration was to become a DJ. Hmm. His professional idol growing up was DJ AM. And by DJ Pauly D. Yeah! Nicely yes, done. Man, nice. Dude, I'm gonna tell you, I'm a big TJ Pauly Pauly D fan. I just watched Jersey Shore for the fourth time <laughs> last week. He turned he turned forty. He's turned forty. That's crazy, man. The big four oh. I gotta read this is I'm I'm a pretty big fan, so uh I gotta read the rest of this. It's pretty funny. He caught a huge break in two thousand nine when he was cast for the show Jersey Shore. <laughs> 
the directors wanted to make sure they got the right guy, so they sent a film crew to Rhode Island to follow around Polly D. Uh, as he said, he said, they filmed me at the gym, filmed me tanning, and they filmed me going to the club. Six months later, they called me and said I got the show. So true. Nice. Nice. Yeah. He, uh, he joined, of course, Ronnie, Vinny, and the situation as the guys on the Jersey Shore. There we go. You gotta get, Dude, you gotta give it up. We... He's got some phenomenal hair. He's got... Oh, absolutely. Yes! Some phenomenal hair. Very nice. I, he grew a beard over quarantine. It was a pretty uh, weak beard. It was okay. not... I mean, like me and Dave, Dave has a very manly beard. Jake, you are not really capable of growing a beard, am I right? What? Hey, hey, hey man, I'm I'm blossoming. You're getting my there? Dad, You're getting my there? My dad, we, we were just outside. My dad was like, is that a beard? And I was like, it's coming in, man. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I feel like Polly D is one of those naturally hairless guys it's not really easy for him to grow a beard. It, I mean, yeah. he was working on it, but it is very, very thin, you know? But he's a good-looking yeah. guy. He's a good-looking guy. Yeah. He's a good-looking DJ, you know? Hear, hear me out. Okay. Hear me out. Let's get one of those dudes on this show. Okay. I'll try. I don't know. Polly D's about the money, man. I don't know if we have Polly D money to get him on the show. I'll try. Well, I'll try. I don't know. You know, maybe we can get the situation. Since he's been in jail, he'll knock his price down a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Probably not. I mean, he's the situation. He's a big deal, you know? That's right. Anyways, guys, we're going to take a break. We will be right back with Pete Bernhard of the fantastic band, The Devil Makes Three. Right now, we're going to hear something off of his solo album. This is on his newest solo album that came out just in April. This is The Land of Milk and Honey right here. Doc G Show. On a Greyhound bus, full of runaway girls, trying to find a way out in that western world. And he's drunk, laughs and he boasts. Driver throws him out now on the Oregon coast. It's the land of milk and honey, something bitter's in that milk. Cut across that border like a knife through silk. Cleveland Station with a guitar case. Look of recognition goes across her face. I smile just to tell her everything's alright. Hope you don't end up sleeping on the street tonight in the land of milk and honey. Something bitter's in that milk. We cut across that border like a knife through cell. Three car crashes later. Went our separate ways Skip the parting glances Mending to be made In the Blue Ridge Mountains Tangled and confused Met a girl who said she loved me I swore that she was you In the land of milk and honey Something bitter's in that milk Cut across that border Like a knife through silk A knife through silk A knife through silk
telling me Took a girl away Took her from a mother Grandmother the same Oh, someone of a color Nothing much has changed Just going back to the reservation Put a needle in a vein In the land of milk and honey Something bitter's in that milk Cut across that border Like a knife through silk In the land of milk and honey Something bitter's in that milk We cut across that border Like a knife through silk A knife through silk A knife through silk Welcome back to the show today, everybody. Today we are joined by a terrific musician who just re, uh, released his solo album back in April and is the singer and guitarist for The Devil Makes Three, Mr. Pete Bernhard. Pete, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. How's everything going up in Vermont? Oh, it's going great, man. It's actually beautiful here right now. It's like uh, it's like the nicest time of year. It's yeah. not too hot. But uh, the sun is out. I mean, it might be a little too much sun, honestly. It hasn't rained in, like, weeks, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> well, we just, we actually just talked about it before coming on the air there. Uh, this is probably the longest you've been home without touring, like, almost your your whole life since you left Vermont. Yeah, I'd say it's it's the longest time in, in my entire life that I've been uh, that I've been off off of the road. Yep. Yeah, that's got to be that's got to be a big swing. Yeah, it is. It's really something different. I mean, I think I, I must be you know I'm probably speaking for a lot of musicians when I say it's pretty weird. You know, I mean anybody who's been playing music a long time, you know, I mean you know nobody's going anywhere now, no shows. So. Yeah, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It's got to be crazy. Well. I feel I feel like Vermont gets overshadowed by some of its northeast neighbors. Like I was thinking about it when when I was when I was doing research for this interview, and I was like, I don't really I don't know too many things about Vermont. What's your favorite thing about Vermont? Oh man, I'd say just the natural beauty. Honestly, I mean, you know, I grew up here, and um, I grew up in the country, and mm -hmm. it's just a really beautiful, beautiful state. I mean, there isn't there isn't much going on in Vermont other than that. You know, it's a very rural place. Um, you know, there's there's not a whole lot of people who live here. There's only a a handful of, of towns. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just kind of, yeah, I mean, I like that, you know, I like to be out in the middle of nowhere and for sure. I really enjoy, yeah, I enjoy like the, just the nature being outside. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, a lot of the pictures look uh, fairly similar to where I grew up. I grew up in the the west side of Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia, and it looks... Uh, oh, man, it's so pretty there, West Virginia. Yeah, it's 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 nice in that area, for sure. Yeah, I, I remember the first time we went there, we were playing music out that way, and I, I remember driving through. We took some crazy route through the mountains, and I was <laughs> like, man, this looks like home, yeah. It's yeah. like, the, the mountains are a little bigger. You've got steeper hills there. A little bit, yeah, yeah, just a little bit. I mean, you know, through the Appalachians, you have, I guess, the the biggest the biggest mountains on the east coast which of course all your west coast people just 
laugh at and go, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not mountains. Hey, yeah, it's big. It's big to me, but it's, it's it's not the Rockies, you know. Yeah, well, they they get weird in those mountains because it's like if, to me, it seems like Mars when you get up there past the tree line, and there's just oh, no yeah. like, and I'm just like, yeah, this is a little weird. I like I like trees on my mountains. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I mean, I I grew up with that, so I really like it. Yeah, but West Virginia, man, what a, what a beautiful place. Like I. Yeah, I'd never really spend much time there, and the first time I went, I was just blown away. I really liked it a lot. It's definitely nice. It's definitely nice. Well, um, if I come up to Vermont, I always ask my uh, guests this: if I come up to your near your hometown, because I know you said you didn't really live in a in a city, but if I come up around your hometown, where would be the place that you would tell me? I need to go eat. Mm. If I were to mm. eat, that's a tough one. If you were asking, like, where you needed to go fishing or <laughs> where you need to go swimming or where you want to go for a hike, I'd be a lot better off. Um, you know, eating, I mean, I don't know. You know, that's that's a hard one. Like I said, it's, it's um, there's, there's some restaurants around here. Um, but not really like. I mean, there's a couple of. Uh, no, you're from West Virginia. I was about to say barbecue, but there's no way we can compete with that. <laughs> but that'd be that'd be more Tennessee and and uh, and South Carolina uh, and uh, North Carolina. Those North be... Carolina. That's totally true. But man, I'm I'm willing to bet you've you've probably got us beat in West Virginia as well. Yeah, it's but... it's Southwest Virginia. So I'm not in West Virginia. I'm in the western part of Virginia. So like, oh, I see. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, as far as food goes here, God, there's a lot of really great food. I mean, there's a lot of farms, and yeah. so there's a lot of, like, really fresh food, and um, there's a lot of great restaurants. I mean, man, I, I'm well, sort of hard-pressed to pick one out, but I, I'd say probably, I mean, chances are, too, if you were around where I live, you wouldn't have too many choices. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Speaking on that same line, though, I heard in one interview one time you brought up or Cooper uh, taught you how to make a, a mean pie. Oh yeah, Cooper's cook. He um, yeah, he taught me. He's actually he's really great at making pies. And him and huh. Lucia together, um, they make great pies. Like both, um, huh. you know, apple pie, like real traditional. Man. And uh, also, you know, like more savory pie, like a chicken pot pie. Wow. Or something like that. I feel- yeah, and actually, that's funny you mentioned that because I'm getting ready to make a pie pretty soon here. I gotta nice. like check my recipe. Yeah, Cooper is a good cook, but actually, Lucia is even better cook. Man, I feel I feel like that should be a new show on the Food Network, yeah. like pie, <laughs> pie, pie making with the Devil Makes uh, Three. Like that would be. Yeah, you know. yeah, that could definitely go. I mean, I wouldn't be doing much, but they're they're the professionals. Yeah, they're they're really uh yeah, they're both both really good cooks, and um, yeah, I learned a lot from both of them. That's well. So you and Cooper both grew up in Vermont. Uh, how, how well did you know Cooper when you were growing up? Were you good friends growing up? Well, we didn't meet until about eighth or ninth grade. Okay. Uh, so we did. I mean, after that, yeah, you know, I mean, I met him probably at the end of my eighth grade year. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we knew each other somewhat through high school. We were definitely friends, but we didn't go to the same high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, we were we were friends all through high school. I'd say probably, yeah, yeah, the whole time, the whole time that we were both in Vermont, and we stayed friends after we left after we left home as well. Nice, nice. Well, you, now you grew up in a family of sort of musicians. Your brother, your uncle, uh, all kinds of musicians around. And I heard you actually wanted to be more of an artist when you were younger. And then, I did. I wanted to be a comic book artist. 
Yeah. Now, do you do a lot of the designs for Devil Makes Three, or is that other people? No, that's other people. I mean, okay. to be honest with you, most of our designs are done by our friends who are, um, some of them are uh, tattoo artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a lot of friends who are tattoo artists, and we've gotten a lot of designs out of them. Some of them are painters, artists, uh, graphic designers. Um, yeah, we pretty much we've tried really hard to support all our friends who you know made art and pay them for to make us designs whenever we can. And um, yeah, that's been a big thing. And I mean, I'm I'm like very involved in all of our designs, yeah. and um, and really involved in in all of our merch that we put out. You know, we really like like a certain kind of look. Yeah. Sure. Um, but well, no, I don't make them. I used to. When we first started out, I made a lot of posters and a lot of T-shirts. But I mean, after a while, I just got too busy. Well, I just I love the the design you guys just put out. I actually just bought one of the shirts, the solidarity solidarity shirt with the. Uh, oh, the that's fist. great! Yeah, that's our friend Janina in Santa Cruz. She she's actually done a lot of design work for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It, it was. Re- I wanted to ask actually, you know, uh, because it does have a lot of sort of tattoo aesthetic to it. And you guys all have a good number of tattoos. Do you guys have like a band tattoo? Hmm. Is there? A- uh, no, we don't. Although there is a bunch of um, there's a bunch of tattoos in common. Yeah. Uh, that people got together. Okay. But no, there's no no band tattoos specifically. We've all kind of been tattooed separately. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Janina, she's she does a lot of um. Uh, linoleum cutting, kind of like woodcut style designs, and uh, she's done stuff for backdrops for us, for posters, for nice. album artwork. Actually, most of our most of our artists are, are people that we met out in California, and, nice. and uh, just we're friends with. Yeah. Well, I feel I feel like uh, the the tattoo designs and and the the cover designs of a lot of the the albums and everything they they have a real uh, you know punk aesthetic to them and sort of a a heavier aesthetic than most of sort of a a lot of the bands that you often get coupled with was that sort of did you guys go into the band thinking this is you know we want to keep this look with our music well i mean not necessarily that calculated but that was just the kind of stuff that we liked you know Mm -hmm. I mean, we just we just kind of you know we just made stuff that we liked the look of, and we were all you know into sort of the punk um, art scene, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of do-it-yourself scene, and and we did all of our own artwork starting out. You know, I used to make the posters for the bands, and me and Cooper used to make the T-shirts for the band, and so we just kind of continued on with that. You know, we we always liked that um, sort of like you know that way of looking at things, just doing things yourself for as long as you can, and. And uh, and our friends also, you know, they were always like a lot of our friends are like working visual artists. Mm-hmm. So um, we had like the opportunity to, you know, get a lot of great artwork from them. For sure, for sure. Well, uh, you you guys started the band actually out in California, like you mentioned. Even though you're all from relatively the same place on yep. the East Coast, <laughs> you met back up in the west coast and started the the band how did you guys really you know come come to decide okay we're we're a band we're gonna start making music and release albums like how how did it actually start well i mean me and cooper i started out playing by myself and then um cooper and me started playing together as a duo Mm -hmm. 
And then we had a bass player at the time, but he was he was too busy to uh, really commit to the group. He was in a lot of other bands. There was a good amount of bands in Santa Cruz at that time. Yeah, and uh, he was he was in a bunch of other bands. We really loved playing with him, but he just wasn't really available. And then Lucia um, was like hanging around. We already had a bass, and she was like, "Well, I, I can learn to play the bass," <laughs> you know. And while he's not available, and we were all friends, and. Um, and she started playing, and uh, really, it just went from there. I mean, Lucia learned the bass to be in the band, that's, basically. That's what I heard, and I was like, "Wow, that's 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 good." I, I feel yeah. like I would, I feel like I would really, especially with a non-fretted instrument like an upright bass, I would be horrible at that. And it's a pretty impressive. Well, machine. I mean, I'm still terrible at it. I mean, it's really a difficult instrument to play, but. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, it just, to be honest with you, it just worked, you yeah. know? I mean, like, I don't know why, but she just, you know, she figured out the bass and it was just kind of like right place at the right time. And, you know, we put out our, our record pretty much right around the same time that she joined the band. We put out our first record and yeah. and we started touring, you know, we started touring regionally. We started touring California and um, then we would go to Oregon and Washington. And we did that for years. You know, we were just kind of trying to keep our heads above water and we were having a great time. Yeah. Well, you, you guys, like you said, you released that album real fast after you guys started playing together. And you you produced it yourselves. You released it yourselves, and it's it's still. I mean, arguably on on Spotify and some streaming services, your most popular album. Uh, oh yeah, definitely. I mean that that one and uh, Do Wrong Right are probably our most popular albums that we've made. What do you think? Uh, well, what do you think the process uh, or or the what do you think it is that draws people into that original album? Because no doubt, you know, I mean, the the process and your your time putting into the other albums was was much more. And I'd say you probably yeah yeah for sure. Songs. I mean, I think it's just that it's you know, I mean, I mean, you know, well, two things I would say. One is that everybody always loves the first album that they hear. Yeah. I mean, that's like that's like every band. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. every band that people like, they just love the first album because mm -hmm. that's the one they, the first one that they heard, yeah. and you know, and they probably it goes with a certain time in their life, and you know, they think about whatever they were doing at that time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one part of it. But I think the other part is just that both those records are really. Um, you know they're really raw, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're they, you know they're not very produced. Um, they're real simple, mm -hmm. and I think people like that. You know, I think people really like that a lot, and yeah. um, I like it too. You yeah. know, and as we went on as a band, we you know we we changed, we grew, we met other people, we we started playing with other people. You know, we did all sorts of different stuff. I mean, you know, we've been a band for eighteen years, so obviously the sound has evolved and changed. Yeah. Um, you know, which is just inevitable. But yeah. I think that's I think that's what people like about it. You know, yeah. I mean, really, just simplicity. For sure, for sure. Well, like like you mentioned, you guys, you know, sort of had that punk mentality, that independent band mentality, and uh, it seems like you didn't want too many outside hands sort of reaching in on on band decisions. And you know, looking at it and looking at it on on streaming services, there there aren't many bands. Uh, that have their top 10 songs on Spotify with multiple millions of streams on Spotify that have never really been on a major label. 
you know, but you guys are, are definitely one of those bands that is in that sort of scenario. Uh, what do you what do you attribute that to? Oh man, I mean, you know, I think that I think that's going to change. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think that I think that it's like we we did it at a time when maybe not too many people were doing it. You know, and we mm-hmm. were definitely you know fiercely independent for sure. And we we you know we didn't like you said we didn't want anybody telling us what to do or any of the decisions we made artistically or really anything with our careers. And um, you know, it's kind of a blessing and a curse. You know, I think a lot of a lot of other bands were really willing to deal with management and labels and stuff like that. And they may have reached more people. It's possible, but I'm guessing they probably didn't retain ownership of their music. Yeah. Um, and I mean, you know, to me, that's like one of the most important things. And that's something that like, I really always want to tell young musicians. It's like, you know, fame and fortune is great, but I mean, it really like in this day and age, you know, if you work hard and your music is good and you retain ownership, I mean, that's what you need to do. I mean, that goes for really any art as far as I'm concerned. It's like, it's more important, I think, to maintain control. It did, it really, it blew me away, actually. I was just, I just, I for some reason, I, I was going through this article about uh, the lead singer of Blink-182 and how he just, uh, he, he sold his rights to all the Blink-182 songs. Uh, mm-hmm. To some like you know some uh, like investment group, and I yep. was just like, ah, I feel like that's giving away a part of your soul, man. Like you put all this all this effort into these songs, and then you're like, here, buy them, random people. Girl, come on. <laughs> yeah, you know that's really going around, and I mean, I'll tell you, like the reason why that's happening is because those investment groups they basically are buying it like they're buying a company. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. It's like, for instance, say with your podcast, you know what I mean? Like you have a podcast, you start it, you get it popular, and then somebody approaches you and they're like, hey, how much you just like sell us your podcast? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, it's sort of like, almost like they look at it like real estate, you know? Yeah. It's like you've already made it profitable. All they have to do is buy it, you know, and, and make a small amount of money for basically doing nothing. Yeah. And I mean, I feel the same way you do in that I don't I mean like you know people are out there offering a lot of money and like that investment group I'm sure is making a ton of money off Blink-182 Um, but I mean to me it's like it's not worth it I would rather I mean the other thing that you lose control of is you lose control of you know what happens with your art exactly I mean like where they use it how they use it I mean, I don't know. To me, that just doesn't seem like a good idea. But, you know, some people just want the money, and, I mean, it's understandable. It's hard out there for artists right now because, I mean, I'm sure, as you know, I mean, you know, due to the streaming services and sort of the way that the Internet has, has totally changed the music industry, now, basically, musicians don't have any way to make money that isn't playing live. Yeah. And so I think now, you know, these investment groups will come and they're like, hey, you're like one of the few people who actually own your the rights to your music. So can we buy that from you? <laughs> and people are like, yeah, that sounds great because I don't have anything. Yeah. And also, like in the case of somebody like Blink-182, like that era of band, I mean, they don't want to f- they're not They're not playing anymore. Yeah, no, it's and, – and that's – I mean, it is it is true. It it, it blows me away, and, and a lot of sort of the, the you know sort of just the the fans of the public not being aware how little or n- little to nothing artists make from streaming. You know, it's like man, it really it should be a crime. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I recently, you know, saw something online where, you know, a band was some fans were threatening to not, you know, follow a band anymore or whatever, a friend of mine's band. And, you know, they were like, look, you know, it's really great that you're not going to give us the fraction of one cent that we get every <laughs> time that you play us on a streaming service. Yeah. But, um, you know, saying you're not going to support us, like, y- you can't really take anything away from us because we don't really have anything to take. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like, if you're not coming to a show, that's one thing. Right now, there are no shows. Yeah. And I mean, in terms of like streaming services, I mean, really, I don't, I really hope, I mean, it's almost like, I don't even know if you can turn a ship this big around, but I think that it's just completely wrong. Like when you look at, you know, somebody who has like 300,000 plays and, you know, effectively got got like $22 or something, you know, I mean, it's just like. Where does that get fun? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, and 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 I mean, you know, uh, there there's two sides to it. As far as I, I do, uh, there, there's a benefit of it because it did take away some of the the clout and the power of the bigger labels, but they still have that power. But the, the other benefit is at least some of those smaller artists can get their music out. But uh, especially like right now, uh, with this sort of uh, with with the pandemic, it's just been an overflow of things available to people uh, because you know all your artists are just putting out content because yeah. they can't they can't perform. So it's like okay, yeah, I here's know. Some I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's very it's very strange. I mean, I, I kind of have like a you know, maybe a a slightly unpopular view of the whole thing, but I just think that, I don't know, the the way that the internet has changed things and and streaming services have changed things, is like everybody, like musicians in general, are just expected to produce content, like like you're saying, constantly, like all the time. And I mean, I understand that people want to see stuff from their favorite groups, but like as a musician it's not really a very good way to work. No. I mean, you know, like you don't come out with great stuff when you're, you know, when you put out an album and then the people you're working with want like new content within like three months. It's like, I mean, you know, how are you supposed to come up with something that's good? For sure. For sure. I mean, you feel the pressure and it becomes, it becomes a job and you just start putting things out that, you know, to, to satisfy the, 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 the people wanting it. And exactly. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it's just basically people on the internet wanting content. And I mean, I, even the record labels are, are that way now too. You know, yeah. they just sort of want to push things all the time, push content all the time, have songs all the time. And I mean, just as a songwriter, it's kind of like, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's some people out there that are just like machines and they can just crank out, you know, a hundred good songs a year, but that's just not what it's like for me. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can't, if nothing happens in your life, you don't have anything to write about. You know, you have to, you have to give it some time. Yeah. And it's like the new, the new way that things work in the music business it doesn't really allow for that. I mean, artists are just expected to just churn out music constantly. And I think that it also leads to like fans eventually sort of tune out. It's almost like, you know, it's like you're scrolling through social media, you know, after a while you just kind of are paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I mean that it—it's it, tr- it, the the amazing thing to me the shift, and I I tell this people uh, people this all the time, but like you know you go back in the seventies, the sixties, 
and, and and before that as well, obviously. But you look at top albums, and they would stay on the charts for literally two years, three yeah. years, four years. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Pink Floyd album, uh, you know, uh, the Dark Side of the Moon, like it stayed on the the charts for like seven or eight years, like. <laughs> It's crazy how long it stayed there. And now, like, you know, if if an album stays on a chart for, like, two months, people are like, oh, my God, this thing's been on there forever. Yeah. And people just don't have that. It's like you said, it's because they're saturated with it. They just don't have that attention span of being attracted to that one album. There's so many things, like, you just get, you, you move on to the next thing. And so everybody's trying to sort of, fight for that little boom there's your there's your instant of of hearing our stuff and on to the next thing it is yeah i mean i just i i always i I always bought my albums as a kid you know and i mean like that was and 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 it was this event you got the album you looked at it and you're like oh my god Oh, it's amazing. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, even even if I didn't like all the songs on the album, it was still this sort of presentation of just like, oh, man, that's crazy. All right, good. And you'd go through the whole album, and now it's 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 so fast. It's so immediate. It's so, it, 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 like you said, the artist can't keep up with it. Uh, and, no, know. I mean, I don't think they can. I really don't. I mean, I know for myself that I can't. And, um, you know, it's just sort of like, I don't know. That's why I really feel like for anybody, for somebody doing, you know, a podcast, independent media, visual art, music, it's just really important to maintain control of your business mm-hmm. because then you get to make those decisions. You yeah. know, it's like if you're the type of person that does write, you know, hundreds of songs, you could just put them all out and that's great. Yeah. But if you're not, you can just be like, well, I'm not like that. Yeah. You know, I don't do that. I put out stuff when I have something good. And I mean, either people will wait for it. I mean, that's one thing that's been really great about the way things have changed is in terms of availability is like, there's really like a group of people out there that likes pretty much everything. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you make some kind of art that is, you know, that takes talent to make, there's some people out there who want it, For sure. you know, and that's one thing that's really great. It's like, you know, that's completely available. Like you said, now we can bypass, you know, these, mm-hmm. these giant businesses and these giant corporations, which is really great. The hard part is that, you know, a lot of people end up bypassing it and they're giving away their stuff for free. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's the that's the sort of that's the hard part of it. It's like you know, kind of a double edged sword there. I think I think you do though. In this uh, is sort of this era, especially in um, in music, you see. I-, I think there's there's a there's an easier way to get to that sort of mid level musician. You know, to get to that person that can tour and consistently get good venues. And have people show up, and they don't have to be that you know that rock star, huge famous person that everybody knows, and they can make a living at it. Like you, see yeah, which is art- great. Yeah, and you you can see those artists now. Uh, I I think more than you could say in the in the seventies or the eighties or the nineties. Um, yeah, I mean, it's created a lot of career opportunities for people. It's created a lot of ways for, for people to be able to do it, you know, which yeah. is really great. I mean, I think overall, you know, it's it's great because you get to hear a lot of different music, you know. It's yeah. like things have kind of opened up to the point where people can do, 
you know, what they want to do and find an audience for it. Well, uh, speaking of, you know, new things that you guys did, you know, the last couple albums, you did take a shift from that sort of, uh, we control everything, we're self-producing everything. So the first change you did, uh, I'm a Stranger Here album, you actually, that was the first outside producer that you guys use. Uh, yeah, it was. That was that was Buddy Miller. Yeah, and you recorded it in Nashville at uh, Easy Eye Studios. What what brought, yeah. what brought on that that decision that you guys were like, yeah, let's let's try let's try bringing in somebody else and and see what we can do. Well, you know, honestly, it was just something, just trying something new. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we we made a lot of records ourselves. I mean, we're we're pretty used to doing it and how to do it, and you know, we sort of know our strengths and weaknesses. Um, so it was just kind of like, yeah, it was like an experiment mm -hmm. to, uh, to, you know, see what it would be like to make a record with someone else. You know, yeah. it was, it was just like, honestly, fun. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it was super fun, especially, uh, Stranger was really fun to make. It was like, you know, we just, uh, we played with a lot of people we'd never played with before. The whole album was recorded live. Nice. Um, which was really great. So it was basically yeah. like we all got in the same room and we played the songs and we had other musicians sit in with us. And Buddy has like a great, you know, group of friends who, you know, he has available to come in and sit in on stuff being that he was in Nashville since like the seventies. So, yeah. um, that was really fun too, you know? So it was, yeah, it's just really like experimentation. I mean, I think, you know, in any kind of band setting, you know, you want to, you don't want to be too comfortable. Yeah, yeah. You want you want you want to you want to see some changes over time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, now the the most recent album, uh, Chains Are Broken, uh, mm -hmm. which came out in 2018, it actually featured another huge change, and that was uh, that was you had a drummer. Which yeah, we had we our friend Stefan. We had has basically you know, he'd been playing with us for years, but we hadn't really made a record. So yeah. Um, yeah, and that was that was a big difference was having Stefan come in the studio with us and play, which we you know we had drums on Stranger as well, um, but it wasn't you know like our drummer, it yeah. was just a drummer, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I mean it wasn't the first record we'd had drums on, but it was the first time we brought a drummer into the studio that wasn't with just somebody who was sitting in on some songs for sure. Yeah, it was a big difference. It was definitely like uh, an adjustment for us too, as far as recording, because we'd never done that before. Yeah, um, you know, it was like a new, whole new like level uh, of recording. Well, that's um, for sure. You got some. I mean, there's some alchemy when you talk about uh, recording drums. You know, there's <laughs> there's mic placement and mic mic magic that goes on with drums that doesn't really seem to happen with a lot of the other instruments. Yeah, exactly. It's like a whole other animal. So it was, I mean, that was another thing, too. I mean, that's why we decided to do that as well. It was just kind of like, well, we've never done that before. And <laughs> I think, you know, every time we we try and make a record, I mean, you know, we always try and do something different. I mean, you know, when we made our first record, it was actually just me and Cooper made that whole record. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, when we made our next one, it was me, Cooper, and Lucia. And we, we actually rented a tape machine from uh have you ever heard of tape op magazine yeah yeah so the guy who who uh, was one of the co-founders of that magazine used to live in sacramento mm -hmm. and he had all these really nice tape machines and we carried this giant 
tape machine down into a basement. <laughs> and he basically set everything up for us and then left. <laughs> And so we just hit record, and that was how we made the, that was how we made that record. Don't you know? touch anything; just press. Pretty the much, record like button. he set up the microphones, and we just stood in front of them. And uh, you know, so that was like completely different from how we made our first album. Our first album was like in a, you know, a home studio. It was, yeah. you know, all modern. Yeah. You know, and so then we did you know Stranger, which of course was completely different. You know, in a studio in Nashville with a producer. Yeah. So it's like every time we make a record, we've always tried to, you know, do something that we're sort of not 100% comfortable with and see what happens, you know? Yeah, for sure. Well, and this one, you you uh, worked with Ted Hutt. Uh, yeah, Ted is great. He does. He does. He does a lot of the sort of, I, I feel like the bands that sort of follow with your aesthetic, maybe not the same. Maybe not the same music. I mean, like Flogging Molly, he's produced and Dropkick Murphy's. Um, how how did how did he work with your sound? Oh, he works really great. I mean, Ted was uh, yeah, Ted was really fun to work with. We had a good time making that record. Um, but yeah, you know, he's sort of known for more punk records. Yeah, you know, he's done a lot. He actually worked with this band Tiger Army that we used to see in Santa Cruz when we were first starting out. Yeah, uh, I think the Gaslight Anthem. Yeah. Uh, right, Dropkick Murphy's Old Crow Medicine Show, yeah. stuff like that. Um, yeah. It was, uh, I mean, it was really fun. I, I liked working with Ted a lot. Nice. And, um, and it was, you know, it was like, it was a different kind of a record for us. You know, we'd never, we never really made a record that way before with the drums and everything. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he had a lot of good ideas. Nice. And, you know, he definitely made sure, too, that, you know that we didn't leave with anything that we weren't 100 percent happy with. Nice. That's always that's always good in a producer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, uh, one thing you guys like to do, and and it's sort of I guess you could almost say a, a, fun, a folk tradition is you know uh, doing covers of of older songs, and sometimes you'll pull songs that aren't really folk songs. Like uh, you actually recorded uh, Muddy Waters, uh, Champagne and Reefer. Um, mm -hmm. Now, which what, I, what what drew me in about that song, and why I brought it up was I actually saw an interview you did a while back where they asked you about smoking weed, and you said it, it's fifty fifty. It either makes me sing nonstop, or it makes me have an all out panic attack. Wait, what? And I was, yeah, I I'd say it's still still one hundred percent that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think weed. Um, I mean, weed. Every weed is different these yeah. days. You know what I mean? They kind of like have turned it into like a super science. You know, but you have the stevia or sativa and the indica. Hmm. Yeah, like that's like you know, wake up or go down for the count. Kind yeah. of. you never really know what you're getting. So yeah, I mean, I still have the same experience with it. Like you know, sometimes it's like the best thing in the world, and other times, yeah, basically, I'm like, I'm going to bed. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I never really know which way it's going to go, but. But I mean, Muddy Waters. I mean, doing that song was so cool because he's always been a big hero yeah. to me, and and I and a big inspiration for the band has been, you know, Willie Dixon, um, the Chess Records, uh, you know, artists in Chicago, blues artists like Howlin' Wolf and uh, Muddy Waters and Little Walter, and Did of course Willie Dixon. And those guys were really big influence on the sound of the band. So that that was really fun. Did you watch uh, Cadillac Records? Did you like that movie? Hmm. I did not like it, but it's probably because I'm I might be 
too much of a fan. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, you know, it's like, it might be good if you don't, I don't know if you if you haven't listened to you know. I was about to say you felt like it sucked out some of the music, the life of the music in the. In yeah, the like I mean that's how I feel about every single biopic ever made. You know what I mean? <laughs> like Cash by Johnny Cash. Like I don't care about really. You know I, I care about the music. Really, yeah. Yeah. that's the interesting part to me. You know what I mean? Um, and I mean same thing. Yeah, with Cadillac Records, like it's sort of the drama of like turning it into a Hollywood thing. It's like. Who cares? Just tell me about like the music and the artists and how they recorded it. What, what did the producer do? Just give me some close-ups here of how they recorded this. What's going on back then? <laughs> right, exactly. Like, you know, who played what and like, you know, yeah. what their lives were actually like. I mean, I'm interested in that. I think I think a lot of times with biopics they're just sort of like, you know, they just focus on whatever is the you know, the thing that's going to grab people's attention who don't care about the music at all. Yeah. Um, you know, they just kind of stumble into watching it. And I mean, I, yeah, I didn't really like it because, yeah, because I think I'm, I'm too much of a fan. I mean, I've, you know, I've like read about it and listened to tons of those records and, and just sort of, you know, I feel like it's like almost like, you know, holy ground, that music to me. For sure. For sure. Well, uh, even more recent, like I brought up at the start, you actually released your, your solo album, Harmony Ascension Division, uh, which was about two months ago there at the end of April. And I'm sort of curious when 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 artists do this, uh, you know, when when they're in a group and then they release a, a solo album. Did you just feel like the the songs that you had on this album were more personal? Didn't fit uh, the Devil Makes Three? Yeah, you know, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, you know, the Devil Makes Three has been a band for so long. It sort of has its own life, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the kind of songs that work, you know, sometimes Cooper will bring a song to the band and it works great. And, you know, and sometimes it just doesn't work at all, you know, yeah. and sometimes I write a song for the band and it just doesn't work. You know, yeah. we try it, but for some reason it just doesn't work. I mean, it's not, it's not just me, you know, it's yeah. me, it's Cooper, it's, it's Lucia, it's fiddle player, it's drummer. It's like, it kind of has to click with everyone. Yeah. For sure. And, uh, you know, when you're playing, when you're playing solo, obviously that's not important. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I also, I mean, for, for recording a solo record, when I first started writing songs, you know, I used to just write me and my guitar and that's like early devil makes three songs too. were really just, you know, barely anything more than one person in the guitar. Yeah. And, uh, I just kind of wanted to get back to that. Honestly, I, I sort of missed it. Yeah. Um, it's it's so easy, you know, to uh, to write a song and and just play it on the guitar and <laughs> and you're done. <laughs> <laughs> sort yeah. of get back to the the roots of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's been so long since I did that, you know, or since I played by myself that. Um, yeah, it's kind of fun. It's like it's almost like uh, it's like you get stage fright or something, which of course I haven't had in years. You know? <laughs> well, since I've been talking to to artists in sort of this pandemic time, a lot of them have been getting a lot of writing done, and I, wa I wanted to ask: Have you been getting a lot of new music done, or you you've been doing other things? You know, I mean, the main thing that I did was sort of put together the solo record. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, I had a lot of those songs, um, you know, I had a lot of those songs in my head, and, and a lot of them had been recorded, but I didn't really have time to put together the record. Yeah. I just was sort of, you know, way too busy doing other things. And then, 
you know, all of a sudden we're just like completely unemployed for God knows how long. <laughs> and it gave me, you know, it gave me time to get the artwork together, to get the album together, to get the songs together, to do, to do all of that. So I think that's, that's mainly where like my energy went during nice. this time. Yeah. Now was that, was that all you as far as like production wise on, on the solo album? Yeah, it was self-produced, and um, I had a couple of friends. Uh, I had a really great engineer, and I recorded it in the mountains here in Vermont. It was really fun. Nice. And I had a couple of friends. Uh, my friend Robin MacArthur sings on it, and her husband, uh, Tyler Gibbons, he plays um, bass on it. And that was basically it. It was a super simple record. Very nice. Very nice. Well, see, you've been home, like like we said, for three months, and, and I heard in, in one real recent interview you did with Pace, you were talking about how you've got you've had time to listen to music to mm. sort of review your albums. Um, I wanted to ask, what's a song that you absolutely love that people wouldn't think that's a, that's a Pete Bernhard song. Like something just completely random, like, you know, a Dua Lipa song or like Mark Morrison, return of the Mac, some random what? song that just, not in the vein of you know your aesthetic, uh, Devil Makes Three, your your solo music, completely different. What's one of those songs? Well, I mean, like I really like metal, mm. um, and I, there's this album from the '90s, I think, or maybe it's the early 2000s. Um, it's called Slaughter of the Soul. Jeez, mm, and uh, I love that record. It's by a band <laughs> called At the Gates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and at the gates, I just love, I think that record's a masterpiece. But in, like, another um, another thing that maybe would be kind of out of character is I like, I really like, like, Indian classical music as well, huh. which is strangely sort of like metal, huh. um, like uh, Ravi Shankar and that kind of thing. Yeah. And I also like uh, classical music as well. Like, I really like, um, I mean, I like all music, yeah. but... But I really like I like uh, Pablo Casals. If you know who he is, he was like yeah. considered to be the best cello player in the world at the time. Yeah, um, yeah I really like that stuff too. So that's like three different yeah well, different, wide spectrums there. Yeah, different weird kinds of music that I listen to when I'm at home, you know, or whatever. For sure, for sure. Well, last uh, question: What what are the plans uh, for the Devil Makes Three? Because you obviously. Uh, uh, Lucia's in another state, and uh, you guys are sort of quarantined. Is there is there a, a game plan for 2020, or is it just uh, wait and see what happens? You know, right now it's really just wait and see what happens. You know, we've had we've had all our gigs canceled pretty much. You know, a lot of them canceled due to like the state basically, you know, officially shutting down yeah. um, large gatherings. And so, right now we're definitely in the wait and see what happens realm. I mm -hmm. mean, we you know a lot of bands are rescheduling, but we we sort of want to wait and and make sure we don't want to disappoint people twice. You know, because a yeah. lot of people a lot of people had tickets to see us play. And, you know, they had to let them go. Yeah. And, and, like, we just hate to have that happen again. Like, we're we're really waiting. You know, it could be it could be quite a while just because we're going to wait until they say, yeah, you can do this. And then we know that when people buy the tickets, they're not going to. Because, yeah. I mean, you know, we're in this place right now where we just don't quite know what's going to happen. So yeah. if for some reason they decided, oh, no, you know, everybody's got to, we're shutting down shows again. It's like, oh, man, that would just be such a drag for people who bought tickets. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, you know, I, there's a lot of, 
there's a lot of artists well not a lot but some of the artists that i've i've talked to you know they've actually started back but it's these weird random gigs in random states that like i mean because it's only a few only a few places that are like you said are confident and are like yeah let's bring in people let's do it so it's yeah it's definitely uh uh a waiting game for sure for sure yeah it is man it is for us right now and we're just we're just really going to wait it out and just kind of see what happens you know i mean like you know i mean the information's all over the place you know like yeah. one state's like you know we're going to the bar and the next one's like you know no one's even allowed to go to the grocery store it's like still pretty up in the air for sure for sure yeah well uh pete thanks for being on the show today man it's been a blast yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. Yeah, you can keep up with everything Devil Makes 3 at thedevilmakes3.com or on Instagram at devilmakes3. Right now, let's take a listen to one of those classics off the first album. Let's listen to The Plank off The Devil Makes 3 right here on The Doc G Show. You're mumbling words, but I can't hear anymore You're totally entertained, but I'm absolutely bored To the sharks with your conversation, see what they say You're thrown overboard and disappearing through the waves Down in Neptune's kingdom in the ink black drink Octopus bartenders, you can hear the mermaid sing That'll teach you all to try and disobey Here's a one-way ticket to your watery grave And we say to all our enemies, we'll see you in hell We're gonna walk them off the blanket to the wishing well Down to David Jones' locker where the fishes sleep We'll be praying for you, so don't be praying for me oh, To all our enemies, we'll see you in hell We're gonna walk them off the blanket to the wishing well Down to David Jones' locker where the fishes sleep We'll be praying for you, so don't be praying, don't be praying for me. Kill all those prisoners until their skin turns green. Let the salts of the ocean wash the skeleton clean. Raise up those oars and let them fall. As the wind steady sings, you can hear the crew call up. To all our enemies, we'll see you in hell We're gonna walk them off the plank into the wishing well Down to David Jones' locker where the fishes sleep Won't be praying for you, so don't be praying for me, oh To all our enemies, we'll see you in hell We're gonna walk them off the plank into the wishing well Down to David Jones' locker where the fishes sleep Won't be praying for you, so don't be praying, don't be praying for me And we are back here on the Doc G Show. You just heard Devil Makes 3 with one of my favorites, Plank. The Plank, Jake. Yes! The Plank. It's about walking the plank on a ship. It's pretty, it's pretty b***y. It's pretty. Yeah. It's, it's my favorite jam. That was on their first album, man. And it's just like we were talking about, me and, me and Pete. That first album, it's crazy popular, man. 
It's crazy popular. So uh, true. You know, I mean, the the most popular song on there, old old number seven about Jack Daniels. That's it's got like thirty five million uh, streams on Spotify. It's crazy. Dang. It's, cra- it's crazy. Uh, you know, I I didn't bring this up to him, uh, and I should have when we were talking about it. But I was thinking another reason because we were coming up, you know, with reasons why uh, it was so popular. And another reason, you know, I think when when a band is building up their their repertoire. At that beginning stage, you got so many good ideas that you want to explode out there, you know, and they all come out on that first album, you know. That's one of the amazing things to me about Led Zeppelin, how they could just, like, just continue for six albums just coming up with crazy stuff. I'm not going to really include the last two albums. They were obviously great because they're Zeppelin, but they're not nearly as great as the first six. Um you know, I mean, especially one through four. One through four, you're like, oh, uh, oh yeah. come on. Come on. Yeah. How are you so good? Yeah, we, we talked about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but I, it seems like some reason I uh, can't not talk about it. Um, every- yeah, well, I mean, that's what <laughs> Zeppelin's the band that, like, everybody, like, everybody, like, kind of wants to be the Zeppelin, you know? Well, I mean, from funk to hard rock to folk to bluegrass to pop everybody everybody rips off zeppelin in some way man it's insane it's insane uh but yeah also good advice from pete don't don't sell your don't sell your songs folks nope you keep them you go into a record deal keep them don't sell them that's right Uh, your biggest your biggest asset right there as an artist you don't want to lose those good idea jake don't don't let go of those songs don't let bella vita let go of those songs no, keep hey, him in man. the group. Keep him in the group. Okay, Jake, uh, as I promised at the start of the show, <clears throat> what? Gonna be a little singing in this last birthday suit. Okay. Yeah. I thought you had forgotten. Oh, don't, don't worry, Jake. I've, uh, I've been worried about it the whole. The whole show. Word. I've been a little worried that maybe my vocal range has not been, uh, you know, warmed up properly. So I don't want you to judge me too hard on this. But this artist was uh, was born July fifth, nineteen fifty. All right. And for this, I'm just gonna sing one of his songs, and we're gonna see if you can guess it. Are you right? All right. Here we go. The power of love is a curious thing. Make one man weep and another one sing. Change your heart to a little white dove. More than a feeling, that's the power of love. Tougher than diamonds and rich like cream. Stronger and harder than a bad girl's dream. Make one good, make one right. The power of love will keep you home at night. Do you got it? Um, is that? Hold on. I don't laugh, but is that Huey Lewis? Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Nice. I knew it wasn't in your wheelhouse. I knew, you know, the '80s. 
the 80s uh, pop rock wasn't really your strongest. But yes, Huey Lewis and the News. That is correct. Okay. Nicely done. Uh, that's that's his biggest that's his biggest hit right there. I had to cut it before we got to the full chorus because I can't I can't get up to the high notes of the uh, the rest of the chorus. Uh, there's a little bit I too you high did. for me. Dude, yeah, I thought you did a good job, man. <sighs> you know, like I said, I, I thank you, thank you. I didn't I didn't practice enough for it. I felt a little unprepared. I got I got a little bit of sweaty pits right now. Ew! My, I got I got a Those little pipes. nervous. I got a little sweaty pits. My uh, behind my knee got a little sweaty. You know, but Oof. I'm glad I'm glad you got it. I'm glad you nailed it. That was good. Um, the knee, knee pit sweat. Yeah, that's serious. That's serious sweat right there. Um, I'm pretty positive. Pretty positive my dad saw him in concert in Las Vegas. That's a fact. Uh, okay. Maybe like around like 2000, something like that, I think. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Huey Lewis, man. He's got some other hits. He's got some uh, uh, a New Drug. That's another one of his jams right there. Um, pretty good jam. Uh, he's got the jams, though. Huey Lewis, he's a mover and shaker. Turning the bigs 7-0, Huey Lewis. 7-0. Turning 70, man. It's crazy. Crazy. Happy birthday. Dude, I was just three for three again. You were. That's right. You were. A hundred percent, man. Now, I told... six for nine. I told Dave I'm going to have to start comparing you two. I mean, not like, you know, just a friendly competition. Just a friendly competition. Okay. See who can get more. The only problem is, I mean, if we're getting real scientific on it, uh, it's not really a comparable sample because we got different answers. So his test could be harder than yours. Yours could be harder than his. It's hard to say, you know. Okay. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, I told him, I was like, I, we're going to have to start from the start of Jake's career because I'm not going back and listening to all the shows and seeing how many you got correct. So true. If I had an intern on the show, I'd make him do that, Jay. That's a fact. I'd be like, hey, listen, your job today is to go back and listen to all 172 shows and see how many uh, birthday suits Dave got right. Girl, come but on. we don't have an intern, so that's not happening. Nope. So there you go. But you, my friend, celebrate it. Another 100% day. Huey Lewis, Megan Rapinoe, and DJ Polly D. What a lineup. What a lineup. Yeah. My goodness. Just imagine getting them in a room. What a weird group. What a weird group. Nonetheless, happy birthday to all of them. Jake, it is time to talk about the fantastic uh, shows we've got coming up. we got fantastic shows. I am extremely excited about our show on Wednesday. None other than Dirty Honey coming on the show. My goodness, Dirty Honey. They have rocketed into the the rock realm, my friend. I mean, these guys, these guys, fun fact, Jake, they are the only band that 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 wasn't signed to a major record label that have scored a number one on the mainstream rock charts. The only band nice. to ever have done that. And they have done it, man. Uh, very impressive group. Just so fun to be around. We're going to talk to John Notto, their guitarist. I mean, we're going to talk a lot of things, Jake. I'm, I'm very excited about this interview. We're going to talk about uh, Slash's rig setup. 
We're going to talk about Gibson guitars. We're going to talk, we're going to nerd out on some uh, some classic rock questions. I thought of this one the other day that I'm going to ask him. You ready for this? Best yeah, Best rock riff. What do you think? Best guitar rock riff. Right now, knee-jerk reaction. Oh. What do you got? I'll give you mine uh, while you're go. thinking. Oh, you got it? Okay. Go for it. I, I was just going to go with like a whole lot of love. You know, that, oh, that it just hits. Nice. Nice. Yeah. You know what I went with? I, uh, Ted Nugent, Stranglehold. Oh, man. That's a good one, too. That's, that's just a visceral feel when you hear that riff. I mean, and it's perfect. If you remember Dazed and Confused, it's the perfect song for when he gets yeah. in a fight because it just makes you... That's a fact. Oh, man. You just... You want to... Wait, what? You want to do something animalistic when you hear that. I mean, that is a terrible Ted riff right there. Word. And it is terrible Ted-esque. I love it. Anyways, I'm so excited. I got more questions like that. I'm going to ask him. We're going to talk about new Dirty Honey releases. We're going to talk about recording in Australia. Woo! It is going to be good. It is going to be good. We've we've got other great uh, artists as well, but I don't want to take up the listener's time. We've already took up enough time. We've had a great show. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, it's been killer. And what 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 has been the message, Jake? Don't be a d-head. Boom! Boom! Solidified! Until next week, I have been your host, Doc G. With me, as always, on the Sunday Funday edition, Mr. Jake Papa J-Bones Parlor. Keep it sleazy. Nice! I was about to say, I was about to give you your cue, but I was like, no, no. Jake will get it. He's got That's it. That's right. You got it. I like it. Keep her sleazy, right? Until next week, yeah. zip it up and zip it out. <laughs> <laughs>